0: As they're heading out, grab your Bibles and take a look at uh, Philippians chapter 1. We're starting something new this week. We'll be looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians, and it's going to take us about seven or so weeks to get through it, so most of September uh, and October we'll be looking at (coughs) Philippians. I love taking a whole book of Scripture and kind of working through it, because it gives us all an opportunity to dig in deep, kind of immerse ourselves in one, uh, one train of thought, one big book for an extended period of time. And uh, so I would encourage you while we're doing this to maybe read through Philippians a couple times a week. It's not very long, only four chapters, take you 15 minutes or so maybe. And then as you do that, and you're thinking Paul's thoughts after Paul, You'll be more ready when you get here on Sundays, and the sermons will have that much more meaning if you've already kind of taken some time to sit and settle and reflect on what he has to say. So that's an encouragement. Uh, A lot of times the emails come out, and that'll have the passage we're reading on Sunday. It's easy when you're working through a whole book, because today we're going to do verses 1 through 11. Guess what we'll do next week? We'll start with verse 12. (laughs) <laughs> so it'll be uh, easy to kind of follow along and already, you'll have to wait on the email to read ahead you know what's coming so uh, that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks the series title is Live Worthy and that comes if you're wondering from chapter 1 verse 27 in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 where Paul says live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And as we work through, we're gonna see that that verse is kind of the thesis statement of the whole letter. Everything that he says everywhere else in all four chapters is about helping the Philippians and us understand what it means to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So we're gonna be talking a lot about the gospel worthy life. What does a life that honors Christ, a life that honors God look like? Because if we can learn to live that kind of life, that's the kind of life of the person that follows Jesus, and those are the lives through which Jesus changes the world, starting right next door and going throughout the globe. So let's pray together. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always pleasing to you as we study the scriptures and as we leave this place and as we go day to day in our lives. May they be pleasing to you. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. We glorify you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So Philippians 1, 1 through 11, Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God every time I remember you constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm confident of this that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart, for all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with the knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless. Pure and blameless, you get that sense of gospel-worthy life. Having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Paul wants the Philippians to begin to envision what does a life look like that is lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. To do that, he begins with a prayer. Now, if you're like me, sometimes when you sit down with one of Paul's letters... You know that he starts out with a prayer, and maybe you're tempted to kind of skip over the prayer and get to the meaty stuff, you know, in chapter 2 or chapter 3. Uh, let's talk, let's get to the real solid theology. Yeah, he's praying for him. that's great, that's a pastoral thing to do, but let's get on to the good stuff. The thing about Paul is, Paul likes to put robust theology in his prayers, and so we do really well to take a minute, settle in, and look at what he says in his prayers for the Philippians, for others, whoever we read, because before he gets to the main point of the letter, chapter 1, verse 27, I want you to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He paves the way by reminding the Philippians and us, because we're reading the letter too, 2,000 years later, but we're still reading it. God has graciously preserved these scriptures so that we can have them, so that we can know him, so that we can learn to live in a way that honors him. Paul introdu- he can- paves the way for this vision of the gospel worthy life with this prayer. And the first thing out of his mouth when he prays is a word of gratitude. And the thing that he's grateful for is that all of the Philippians are his partners. They share with him, he says, in the gospel. Verse f- chapter 3, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 I thank my God every time I remember you. So I'm praying for you, I'm remembering you, I'm interceding for you before God. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy, constantly praying with joy for all of you because here's the reason I'm joyful, here's the reason I'm praying for you, here's the reason I'm holding you before God, because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. There's a partnership going on there. There's a shared ministry, sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul wants the Philippians to understand that they're in this ministry together. They need each other. They need Paul. He needs them. They need the community that is established by the gospel. And in the same way, we need each other. You need each other. I need you as partners in the gospel ministry. So Paul is deeply interested in helping the Philippians and us understand this na- the nature of this partnership. You could say, for Paul, the bottom line is that the gospel-worthy life is a team effort, not a solo gig. Maybe we can settle with that for a little while. The gospel-worthy life is a team effort, not a solo gig. And he makes that point with this language of partnership. We've already kind of teased out a little bit, but we're going to dig in more deeply in verse three and four typically there are uh, two Greek words that the average Christian knows. Anybody want to take a guess what they are? You might surprise me, I don't know. Agape is one of them. You heard of that one, anybody? Couple. I got a few nods right back here, right? The other one is koinonia. Those are kind of the two, right? If you never heard of either one of them, don't don't sweat it, no big deal. Koinonia is a Greek word that refers to partnership. Uh, If you were going to enter into a contract with somebody, maybe a business deal, you'd use the word koinonia to describe that. But it's far more than a contract in the ancient world. It's a deep partnership. And that's the word that Paul uses uh, in these opening uh, words of his prayer. I thank my God every time I remember you constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your koinonia in the gospel, your partnership in the gospel your fellowship in the gospel. And so while you might use this word for a contract, it's not the same thing as a couple of CEOs in 21st century getting together and writing up a contract and saying, all right, I'm going to do this and you're going to do that. And if you break your part of this, I'm out over here and I don't have to do this. And you know how those things work. In the ancient world, it's not the sort of thing you just, if somebody breaks it, you can say, I'll see you later. I'm going to go find somebody else to be partners with. Koinonia is a deep, abiding, passionate commitment to a shared cause. Right? This deep, abiding, passionate commitment to a shared cause, a shared mission. And if somebody isn't quite as passionate as you are, it doesn't mean you give up on them, does it? Right? You want to bring them along because you're in a community together, because you're in it together, because you are partners together in the gospel. And so this is the thing that Paul is grateful for. Why is he so joyfully grateful to God? He's grateful for this koinonia, this partnership that he shares with the Philippian Christians. Um, Now, what's the significance of that? The significance is that gospel ministry isn't just for Paul while everybody else kind of watches, right? Sometimes we treat it like that, like, you know, the preachers go off to seminary and get their training, kind of like other professionals, doctors go to med school and lawyers go to law school and other folks go to other kinds of schools and preachers go to preacher school and then you come back and you're a professional and you do it and we'll just kind of pay you and watch. But that's not quite how ministry works out in the New Testament, is it? Paul doesn't say, hey, I'm the pro, leave it to me. You guys just kind of hang out and watch me do my job. No, he says we're partners together. We have a shared mission, a shared ministry, and I'm exceedingly grateful to God and filled with joy that we're in it together, that we're partners, that we're doing this thing, right? So for Paul, gospel ministry isn't something that you kind of hire out. It's something that all believers share together, right? So he's more like a coach of a team. He's got the playbook. He's like, here's the strategy. Here's what we're going to You're strong in this position, so we're going to put you there. These are your gifts, so we're going to put you over here, and here's the strategy, strategy, and let's get the work done. Let's get the mission done. So instead of kind of a professionalized clergy for Paul, he'll do the work, and they just kind of are along for the ride and watch. It's more like Paul's the coach. I'm going to give you some strategies to make you successful ministers, and then... uh, We'll see what the Lord does with it. There's a similar idea in Ephesians. You may be familiar with this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul, again, if you want to look at it, it's probably only about one page back in your Bible. So if you're in Philippians 1, you can flip back over to Ephesians 4, it's right there. Ephesians four eleven. he's talking about how God has gifted uh, some people to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and then some pastors and teachers, right? Not so they can do all the work, verse 12, so they can build up the body of Christ. Make sure I get this right. I skipped the main part. He's given some gifts to be pastors and teachers, verse 12, in order to equip the saints, that's the church, for the work of ministry. So if you want to say, whose job is it to do ministry? Well, according to that verse, whose job is it? Raise your hand if it's your job. Everybody's hand ought to go up, right? Equip the saints for the work of ministry. Y'all are the saints. You may not have known that, but you are. (laughs) You're looking at each other right now going, I know he's not a saint. (laughs) I was with him when he was watching the game yesterday. I know he's not a saint, right? No, no. If you're a follower of Jesus, the word saint applies to you when you're reading the New Testament. That's all there is to it, like it or not. That's who you are. But you see the point, right? Paul says the pastors, the teachers, the apostles... It's their job to give the church what they need to do the work, right? And think about how logical that is, right? Because if the pastor's the only guy who ever invites somebody in on the mission, well, is that going to be the most effective way to do it, right? I mean, there's 70 or 80 people in the room right now. If 70 of us are, in, are, are telling people how much Jesus loves them and inviting them to come along, we're going to have a lot more fruit than if one guy does it, Right? I mean, do, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to do that kind of math. <laughs> so the minister's job is to give the church the thing they need to be in the partnership effectively. We're in it together. It's a team effort, not a solo gig. And Paul is grateful for that. And he really... Uh, Sows that vision into the grammar of the passage. Any teachers in the room? A couple? English teachers. No English teachers. That's a shame because this one's for you if it were your, your thing, right? In, in, in the Greek language, there are two words for you. You may know this already. There's a singular you, just you, Tom. And then there's a plural you. You all. The whole group of you. Now, that's a problem in English. Don't get ahead of me. <laughs> that's a problem in English because we only have the word you. It's not a problem in the South. Because we have you for the singular. We have y'all for the plural. And then we have an emphatic plural. You know what that is? All, all y'all, right? <laughs> that's exactly right. You're, and you're, you're, we can just skip this part, right? So I'm gonna, and, and so all the way through this, we kind of read through. Paul says you about eight times. And we kind of read it and we think, well, he's just talking to me, this is my thing, when actually it's the plural, probably the emphatic, all y'all. So I'm going to read it, the Living O'Reilly version here, maybe Living Southern Translation. Can we maybe copyright that? There's a Bible for everything now, right? We could have the, the good old boy's Bible. I thank my God every time I remember all y'all Constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all y'all. Because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now, I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work among all y'all will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to think this way about every last one of y'all. Because you hold me in your heart. For all y'all sharing God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I long for every last one of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that y'all's love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help y'all determine what is best, that in the day of Christ, y'all may be pure and blameless. It's crystal clear, isn't it? Right? This is not a singular me and Jesus got our own thing going. This is every last one of y'all, isn't it? Right? Koinonia. Is about y'all, not you. All of us, together. Team effort, not a solo gig. The mission only works if we're in it together. Maximum fruitfulness only happens if we're in it together. The most efficient work of the church only happens through a team effort. There's no such thing as a solo Christian. There's no me and Jesus got our own thing going. There's a song a while back, your own personal Jesus. That is not how it works. Not how it works. It's not how the gospel was designed. It's a team effort. It's a group project. And it only works the way Jesus wants it to work if we're working it together. The gospel-worthy life is a joint effort, and it's a life built on grace. That's the next piece that Paul wants them to understand about their shared ministry. They didn't create this partnership. God did, and that's what it means for the partnership to be built on grace. Take a look at verse 6, and I want to encourage you to bring a Bible. Um can be on your phone, your tablet. You can even bring a paper copy if you want to, but uh, we'll refer to the text often, and it's helpful to just have it there, and uh, you might be one of those folks who likes to circle things, and you may have even noticed that we now have a a note option on the insert of that bulletin if you want to, like, jot something down. Some people have asked me, hey, I've noticed some folks writing notes. Well, now you've got a thing right there. You can write them on that, and hang on to them if you like to do that. If you don't like notes, forget about it. (coughs) Verse 6, I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Now you think, preacher, I thought you were talking about grace. I didn't hear the word grace in that. You hear the word began? That's about grace. Grace means God goes first. Grace means God takes the initiative. Grace means that we don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I think I'm going to form a gospel partnership with somebody because I've got... What it takes to do this, and he's got what it takes to do that, and we could get together and have some really good stuff. You know, where is God in that? He's not there. That's not how it works, is it? Gospel partnerships are built on grace. God takes the initiative, God initiates our communion with Him, our fellowship with Him, and brings us into fellowship with one another. That starts with the death and resurrection of Jesus. The work that He has begun within us begins with the death and resurrection of Jesus who offered Himself in love to take the consequences of our transgression on His shoulders. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. And He's given us a meal to remind us of that. Not just to see it, but to taste it regularly and often. That's the foundation of the community. When we come to that table and we take a piece of that bread and we share that one cup, it's a symbol. It's more than a symbol, isn't it? It's an instrument of God's grace to bind us together. Because the mission isn't a solo gig, is it? It's a joint project, a team effort. So many places in the world only accept people based on their abilities, their bank accounts, their gifts, their talents. Are you good at this? Can you help us out? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Thanks be to God, our standing with Him doesn't depend on any of that. Thanks be to God, that he doesn't regard us according to what we can do for him. Jesus doesn't come along and say, I'll offer my blood for you, but you've got to do this for me. You know why he doesn't do that? Because he doesn't actually need anything from us. <laughs> He's entirely self-sufficient. Jesus needs nothing from me. Nothing. And that's why whatever fellowship I have with him is every bit of grace. It's all a gift. He starts it. Now, we have to respond, don't we? It's very hard to have a relationship if one person initiates it and the other person doesn't respond, right, or responds by walking in the other direction. There's no koinonia there, is it? There's no fellowship. There's no community. And that's where faith comes in. We respond to the grace that Jesus gives us by trusting Him and having confidence in Him, saying, you know, Jesus... I can't forgive my sins, so I'm going to trust your broken body to do something for me that I can't do for myself. I don't have what it takes. You have to do it for me. That's grace. And faith isn't something I do to sort of get Jesus to give me some more grace. Faith is me saying, I can't do it. I trust you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And the whole fellowship, the team effort, the koinonia, the partnership, The mission, the ministry is built on that foundation. And without it, forget it. There's nothing for us. So the gospel-worthy life, the partnership that characterizes the gospel-worthy life is built on a foundation of grace. And that is the thing that gives us what we need to overcome, opposition to the mission and adversity to the mission. Check out where Paul is when he writes this. Anybody notice? He's in jail. I don't know who said that, but Pat. He's in, this is one of the so called prison epistles, right? That means it's a letter written from prison, from jail. He says this in uh, verse 7. It's right for me to think this way about you, talking about the work that God's doing by grace in their lives, right for me to think this way about you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share, there's that word share, partnership, koinonia again, you're partners with me in God's grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So here's Paul, and he's in prison, right? And you might think, what do we do? The apostle's been thrown in prison. What are we going to do now? How are we going to go forward? What are we going to who's going to organize the ministry? who's going to cast a vision? who's going to show us the playbook? who's going to do it? And Paul is saying, look, the gospel isn't chained. We're partners. I may be in here, but I'm praying for you. I'm writing letters to you. you're out there. Do the work, right? The partnership means that if one person goes to prison, the mission goes on, doesn't it? Right? Because it doesn't depend on one guy, even somebody like Paul. The effectiveness of the mission doesn't depend on any one Let me tell you, friends, there is no day where Jesus has, awake, has sort of, well, he doesn't wake up in the mornings, does he, where Jesus sort of came along one day and says, what am I going to do without O'Reilly or Bush? Or whoever, right? Sorry, Flip. Jesus has never said that about us, any of us, right? He's never been caught off guard. My father-in-law just, father-in-law likes to say, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? <laughs> right? He never gets caught off guard. He never goes, Oh no, what am I he's not feeling well today? What are we gonna do about the plant? You know, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Right? Because it never none of us are irreplaceable. We need each other but nothing depends on any one of us right? and so when adversity comes along and we're going to discover in Philippians there's a lot of adverse these people are struggling and there's stuff going on pressure from the outside strife on the inside we'll look at the details more closely later on but they are struggling and they're in pain but that fellowship is the thing that holds them to, the gospel fellowship is the thing that holds them together and gives them what they need to overcome the adversity that would seek to destroy their mission. If you're a solo gig and adversity comes, go down for the count real quick, won't you? If if it's just me doing my thing with Jesus and something comes along and puts me out of commission... Well, that's the end of the thing, isn't it? When it's a team effort. Adversity doesn't put an end to the mission. The gospel-worthy life is a team effort, not a solo gig. We're going to come to the Lord's table. This table, this bread, this cup, is a a visible, tangible, and my favorite part, tasteable revelation of the presence of God in our midst. The word communion sounds a lot like the word community, doesn't it? And community is all about partnerships and fellowships. This table creates the community. Community between us and God through Jesus, and then when we all share it together, it binds us together in community. Everyone you have communion with, that's your koinonia. So when you come today, you break that bread and you dip it in that cup and you take it into your mouth and you taste the bread and the juice. Offer yourself again with joyful gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ in communion with Him, by grace, through faith. And recommit yourself to this fellowship of the gospel for all the things the Lord Jesus wants to do through us from this point forward. Can we do that together?